Hello, and welcome to the Boring Bible Podcast. I'm Noah Randolph. And I'm Ashley Wakefield. And we're here to take you on a journey through the boring parts of your Bible, books that you just couldn't finish when you tried to read them. Together, I hope we'll get to see some of the hidden beauty in these books, and maybe afterwards you'll love them too. But if not, that's okay. You will still get to tell your friends you got through them and have full bragging rights to your pastor. Just don't let it go to your head. So let's get started. Welcome back to another episode of the Boring Bible Podcast. I'm Noah Randolph, teaching pastor here at Wayfarers Christian Church, and I've got with me in the studio Ashley Wakefield. Hello. That was uh, a harder one to do because I am out of breath from running around this college all day trying to figure out its internet, so <laughs> it's been a fun week for me. How have you been, Ashley? I've been good. I was tired today, but you know I'm good once I go home and relax and it'll be great you know there you go there you go you seen any recent movies lately i know you're kind of a movie buff um what was the last the last movie i saw was train uh was it bullet train yeah me and my mom on theater day i think it was not theater i'm sorry cinema day they had national cinema day on september the 3rd which is on a saturday Mm. and so all the movie theaters at least the malco ones i know across the country were doing like three dollar movie tickets and selling their snacks like like half price like i think like half price like if you buy like one thing you get like well not half off you buy one thing you get like three dollars off or something so me and my mom went we saw a bullet train which i liked it was it was pretty good hmm. is that oh, what's the genre of that action definitely action, action. okay <laughs> like world war z kind of action or more like uh more like comedic action oh kind of like fighting okay. on a train so it was a lot of it was like comedy but then action the same so it was like a lot of killing a lot of fighting some sword play <laughs> mm. up in there you know? okay. so it was, okay. it was that interesting sounds like a good time yeah it was based in japan so it was yeah oh. so they were riding a bullet train through in japan so <laughs> i got you okay cool well that sounds would you recommend it would you tell other people to go see it or would you say eh, skip it I mean, I would think that people would go see it if you like if you like action, if you like um Japanese culture, which granted it it's not super steeped in the Japanese culture, but it does like have like little nuances here and there. So it's not deep. Mm-hmm. Um, but I will say that I mean I liked it. It was action packed, it was funny. Um, so if you like that kind of stuff, then I would recommend you go see it. If that's not your thing, then I would say no. Gotcha, gotcha. Uh, sounds sounds fun. Sounds fun. I uh, I wish that I could have had a weekend like that. But um, <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll definitely uh, go ahead and uh, jump into this episode. Sorry to talk about movies, but it's just fun to talk about some fun things with recent events and everything like that. If you uh, uh, definitely know, uh, thank you so much for listening to our last episode that we did, where I kind of just took a moment to. Uh, uh, spend some time talking about Memphis and the situation that we've been going through in Memphis. So um, if you haven't seen that episode or watched that, or not watched, but uh, listened to that episode, then uh, uh, go back and listen to that because it's just a, sort of a call for uh, us to pray for Memphis in the time that we're going through. We're still kind of reeling in this time, um, especially just here at Wayfarers. Um, we recently had someone um, very dear to all of us that passed recently. Um, he was actually preached at Wayfarers for one service, and so a lot of us are uh, hit pretty hard this week just with that so um keep um the mask family in your prayers as they are dealing with um yeah just uh someone that's been a part of their lives for all of their lives really um passing so yeah um uh 
besides that, let's go ahead and jump into this chapter. Today, we're going to be talking about Isaiah chapter 59. Um, this is, we're nearing the very end, guys. It's going to be so, so cool to finally wrap this up. I know we've been saying that for a while, but it's it's just, I'm excited, uh, especially considering we, I started this like a year ago. It's crazy, like a year ago. Weird. Um, but yeah, we're working through uh, chapter 59 today, and this is going to be an interesting one because we've had a lot of episodes talking from the perspective of God to the people of Israel. And we'll get a little bit of that in this chapter. But um, interestingly, this is actually a chapter that focuses a lot more on the prophet's perspective on his own people. And so you'll see a lot of um, we and us language get used instead of just like um, God telling the Israelites, you are doing this wrong and you are doing this um, incorrectly, right? And so uh, it's really interesting because we get sort of a more, uh, not like, we get more of a personal angle on it, so to speak, from a member of this community that's looking at his own community and um, still finding so much wrong in it. Um, so we get that kind of angle, and then we finally get this kind of prophecy that this person brings out to the forefront of how they believe that God is going to do something uh, mighty and spectacular that's going to fix all of the brokenness of Israel. And that's kind of how we close this chapter out, which if you've been listening to really chapters 56 through 66 that's kind of been the theme has been we're focusing more so on god kind of coming in and fixing the brokenness of israel still kind of calling out israel from time to time but really the shift is now to um focusing on what is god going to do in light of the failure of israel and how is he going to respond to them so yeah that's that's kind of what we're going to be diving into so i'm I'm excited to dive into this did you have any opening thoughts on this ashley before we dive in that's it we can get started all right let's go ahead and do this surely the arm of the lord is not too short to save nor his ear too dull to hear but your iniquities have separated you from your god Your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he will not hear. For your hands are stained with blood, your fingers with guilt. Your lips have spoken falsely, and your tongue mutters wicked things. No one calls for justice, no one pleads the case with integrity. They rely on empty arguments, they utter lies. They conceive trouble and give birth to evil. They hatch the eggs of vipers and spin a spider's web. Whoever eats their eggs will die, and when one is broken, an adder is hatched. Their cobwebs are useless for clothing. They cannot cover themselves with what they make. Their deeds are evil deeds, and acts of violence are in their hands. Their feet rush into sin. They are swift to shed innocent blood. They pursue evil schemes. Acts of violence mark their ways. The way of peace they do not know. There is no justice in their paths. They have turned them into crooked roads. No one who walks along them will know peace. So justice is far from us and righteousness does not reach us. We look for light, but all is darkness. For brightness, but we walk in deep shadows. Like the blind, we grope along the wall, feeling our way like people without eyes. At midday, we stumble as if it were twilight. Among the strong, we are like the dead. We all growl like bears. We moan mournfully like doves. We look for justice, but find none. For deliverance, but it is far away. For our offenses are many in your sight, and our sins testify against us. Our offenses are ever with us, and we acknowledge our iniquities, rebellion and treachery against the Lord, turning our backs on our God, inciting revolt and oppression, uttering lies our hearts have conceived. So justice is driven back, and righteousness stands at a distance. 
Truth has stumbled in the streets, honesty cannot enter. Truth is nowhere to be found, and whoever shuns evil becomes a prey. The Lord looked and was displeased that there was no justice. He saw that there was no one. He was appalled that there was no one to intervene. So his own arm achieved salvation for him, and his own righteousness sustained him. He put on righteousness as his breastplate, and the helmet of salvation on his head. He put on the garments of vengeance, and wrapped himself in zeal as in a cloak. According to what they have done, so will he repay, wrath to his enemies and retribution to his foes. He will repay the islands their due. From the west people will fear the name of the Lord, and from the rising of the sun they will revere his glory. For he will come like a pent-up flood that the breath of the Lord drives along. The Redeemer will come to Zion, to those in Jacob who repent of their sins, declares the Lord. As for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit, who is on you, will not depart from you. And my words that I have put in your mouth will always be on your lips, on the lips of your children and on the lips of their descendants, from this time on and forever, says the Lord. All right, so uh, this chapter opens up with um, a prophet of uh, Israel in this time period um, declaring that... uh, the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, which is basically a fancy way of saying um, that he still is re- relying on God to um, fix all of the problems of Israel. Um, however, he then follows that up um, after that first opening line with um, talking about how bad things have gotten with Israel. And um, he focuses a lot more in this chapter on justice. Justice is kind of the big big thing that uh, he sees as such a big problem um, in his time and people. And it's really important to kind of spend some time talking about this. I'm sure I've talked about it on some episodes in the past, but just to kind of reiterate it for any of you that are tuning in new. Um, A lot of this time period in the uh, history of the people of Israel uh, wasn't really a time period filled with a lot of people just uh, hardcore people. deleting God out of their worship books and hymnals. This was actually a period where they continued to worship God. And Isaiah one talks about how they continue to offer sacrifices and in the temple and things like that. Um, it's just that while they were worshiping God and praying to God, they were also um, mistreating one another quite uh, heavily. They would redraw boundary lines so that like they would get more land than uh, they would really deserve. They would um, cheat on the scales and like use like fool's gold and all sorts of different ways to like sort of up the money scales. They would uh, bribe judges so that they would get the right case cited in their way, right? And they would basically mistreat the poor and oppressed and any type of foreigner or eunuch. We talked about that a couple episodes ago. Basically got really um, ostracized and criticized and um, they really were very mean-spirited people that um, kind of were like the rest of the nations around them. Yeah, so um, fool's gold is basically like fake gold. Is yeah, it's basically like <laughs> fake gold. Sorry, sorry. Yeah. So how would they do that? Would they just like color it Well, gold? so the way that they they would uh, weigh out money was on scales. And basically mm-hmm. they would decide an amount based on its weight, basically. Mm-hmm. So you could take like fool's gold, which looks like gold, basically, and has a similar weight to gold and use that as your like base weight and then use some other type of currency i i kind of like that's the one off the top of my head i don't know if that's actually true that they used fool's gold Mm -hmm. i'm just using that as an example of a way that they could cheat the scales sometimes merchants i do know would use 
unbalanced scales. Mm-hmm. And, you know, basically you would have to put a little extra money on one side of the scale for it to balance properly, even though like it technically was right. Um, the scale was skewed one way so that it would mm. get, um, you know, that, that's kind of actually where we get the metaphor. If you've ever heard the scales of justice uh-huh. um, before, that's where that comes from. Because is, they typically have that like in courtrooms, don't they? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're like an actual scale yeah. <laughs> on both sides or whatever. We don't use scales anymore, so it's kind of hard to imagine. But that's how they like treated money back then was like, like by weight and so um any way that you could mess with a scale so that it was weighing inaccurately could side in your favor and thus uh result in you cheating someone yeah so it was a lot of things like that where they were constantly um just being pretty despicable to one another and then of course on top of that there was a lot of sexual sin they were sacrificing their children in the valley of ben hinnom we talked about that a couple episodes ago um they were uh worshiping on these high places that were probably uh, of some type of fertility ritualistic uh, worship where they would sleep with prostitutes and things of that nature um, for the purpose of uh, giving worship to these other gods. Um, And so there was just a lot of uh, people hurting other people in this time period. So what he focuses on here in this chapter is a lot of just how guilty these people are, even though they think that they are um, still worshiping God and still, you know, following after him. And remember, we've talked about this a a little bit ago, too. Um, This is post their punishment in Babylon, right? So they've already had like Assyria and Babylon kind of come in and represent sort of the justice of God sort of level them. And this is kind of the remaining peoples after all of that's happened. And yet still there's this temptation for a lot of these people to be this way because like people don't just get fixed after several horrific traumatic events, right? Like you're still going to, like even if your parents were the ones that committed awful sins in a certain time period and then an evil nation comes and takes out you and relocates you to another land that doesn't mean that your children are going to be similarly the yeah. most mu- moral pure saints so this was after they went to exile yes, in babylon yes yes this oh, is okay. after they went into exile in babylon oh, okay and so and you we can actually see the fact that these people weren't any better than their fathers and yeah. grandfathers you can read in uh, malachi is a good example of this malachi is the last book in the old testament and it spends some time really examining what the people what the hearts of the people of um, Israel were like during this time period and they were very um, bitter people that really uh, kind of had it out for God because God allowed Babylon and Assyria to come in and kind of conquer them mm-hmm. and so they kind of felt like they got a free pass for being the way they were because God wasn't protecting them in the Babylonian situation even mm. though you know but God kind of sent prophets all that time period saying hey like uh, I'm going to do this. This is going to happen. Prepare for it. Uh, and they didn't yeah. listen during that time period. They still kind of hold this grudge against God of like, um, that's like you, you still promise to take care of us. And we feel like this is something, but that's Malachi. Um, if you go and read Malachi, it's a really interesting, uh, back and forth between those peoples and God. But yeah, that kind of reminds me of when I was listening to you, Bible project about this idea of God wanting to extend like 
the blessings of Eden out to the other nations. And he's trying to use Israel to do that. And one of those things was when they were going into exile, which is, I think when they were, I think this is when they referring to when they went to Babylon and he tells them to pray for the city and pray for its welfare and marry off your sons and your daughters, like build houses, you know, yeah, yeah, all yeah. these things. And so it's like, that was like their form. That was supposed to be a form of them blessing the other nations by, you know, not resisting their captors, but stay not following along with what they did, but not resisting them and fighting against them either. But, basically introducing a new way of life to them and introducing the blessings of God in there. And so, and he also talks about how, uh, how that, that was basically how both the nations, both the nation of Israel and these other nations both basically fail at that and how like Israel feels like, well, God failed us in what we were supposed to do. And so we're going to do whatever we want. But then right. these other nations start to become arrogant in a different kind of way. And it's like, well, God is blessing me with this. Like, what was it? Nebuchadnezzar and then his son, Bel- Belshazzar. Yeah. Um, like the I think, who, what was the, who was the one that went crazy? Was that Nebuchadnezzar? That's Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuch- yeah. So it was like this idea that he gave them these blessings. They took it too far. And then this is the result of what happened. So it was like, the idea of people just yeah not being able to handle the blessings of God in a way in a way that's humble and then mm. also not being able to share it with others in a way that's also humble <laughs> so. yeah yeah no no it's it's kind of a sad story like uh just walking through the history and we need to remember something here too Isaiah in particular and a lot of these prophetic books that are kind of telling the people of Israel how wrong they are they were a very small minority group and mm-hmm. they weren't popular. So their words probably weren't getting to most of the people during that time period. Mm-hmm. They didn't really get collected and, you know, formed into the like whole book that they were uh, until after the exile um, in that kind of time period uh, around when they're like rebuilding the temple and things like that. So like uh, we, the people that this was addressed to at least are very different than the people we meet by the time we have Jesus on the scene and things like that. So it's just, it's, it's interesting to kind of focus on this chapter because you see just his, uh, the prophets kind of own mind about how he feels about his own people. Mm -hmm. And so he spends a lot of time talking about justice because that's the thing that's most on his heart about, what they're doing wrong. Um, and he spends some, you know, he plays a lot. This is a very beautiful poetic chapter. If you love poetry, this is a great chapter to kind of just study because like, you know, he talks about how, like how they like hatch eggs of vipers and spin mm-hmm. a spider's web. And it's just like this, like really beautiful imagery of just like these people that are constantly like plotting and scheming. I think about this a lot today. You could apply this almost to like people that try and like cheat the stop, stock market you know and people that like try and short things in the stock market and like just how people will um go through all these like plots to try and gain money quick and um uh maybe even like (laughs) get rich uh quick schemes like Mm -hmm. buy up a ton of houses in a neighborhood that are like in disrepair and then just like slow us uh throw like a clean uh coat of paint on it and maybe fix one one or two things and then charge like three times the amount like things like that right that's what he's like really critiquing mm. here yeah. um is that just that level of injustice of just uh these people not really doing that for the betterment of their neighbors but just you know doing it for their own ill-gotten gain right mm-hmm. um and so their their feet that are quick to rush into sh- uh, sin and they are like uh, shedding innocent blood a lot of the time. Um, yeah, it's just not a great situation. So he, he talks about a lot of that in verses one through eight and then uh, kind of moves into a new section where he then kind of 
backs up a little bit and just kind of talks about justice as a topic in his culture and truth and how like there really isn't any like uh, reason for seeing any type of ideal like that in his people. He just doesn't see the idea of justice being represented by his people. And uh, yeah, it's just like he describes them as like blind people groping along and like, uh, <laughs> like almost like bears that are like growling and moaning more mournfully like dolls, uh, doves, right? Like it's just this like constant, um, uh, kind of, I would call this a lament mm-hmm. chapter where he's really just lamenting how far his people have fallen. And this is something that like, I think we forget in Christian circles is you're totally allowed to just like write out laments for your own people. When you see your own people, going in a way that you don't think is healthy. Right. And like, I think this is like a beautiful chapter that kind of shows us what a lament uh, looks like from someone that's like praying to God, um, just noticing the situation and pointing out these, these problems that are happening in his culture and in his time period. Um, And honestly, I think they, they still kind of relate to us today. Like just looking at like our own culture and how things just feel also like uh, a very unfair at times with uh, people in power right now I and mean, it feels like um, there there's a lot of research you can do on just like uh, like how how long senators have had their seats and uh, how they've like kept their seats and how they've re- raised salaries um, in laws and haven't done much else but that and like yeah it's just a lot of things like that you can look into to see just sort of the injustices of our world that sort of bear down on us as a people um and this this allows us to kind of reach in and kind of identify with that through our own culture um and then kind of look back at what it was like for them in their culture so yeah i i would i definitely say this is one that you like if you've ever felt any sense of just the system that we live in that the government that we live in um the people around us that we live in if you've ever felt like it's just very unfair um in some way and that things are just not being done justly um this is a chapter that really is uh for your heart you know it's for your heart to be able to cry out the same way that this uh writer in isaiah is crying out so um did uh, before we go any further did you have any thoughts on that before um yeah i thought it was really interesting because this was something that you know that i've had to learn that a lot of people have probably already learned or will have to learn is that he goes through this whole lament about how the people are filled with so much so much injustice and there's no one to intervene and then he kind of puts his hope in God instead of putting yeah. his hope in the people so it's like there's no point in me putting my hope in them because they're not going to change on their own but then God is going to come and then he's going to do something and that's kind yeah. of how yeah. I kind of felt when I was a couple weeks ago when I was talking about like my family the little altercation that we had with this one particular family member um, who you know we've all been praying for for a long time trying to counsel her and she's extremely difficult and she's very difficult to love um very belligerent very aggressive very mean-spirited very hateful and it's just like you just kind of look at her like okay like there's just like no hope for you like only god can deal with you so that's just kind of how i put it like i put this like it's no longer my responsibility only god can do this because i don't see any hope by herself but then god is going to take care of that and it's just sort of like you can't depend on people to be who they're supposed to be at all times it's like there's certain things that only god can do and i think that's just what he's doing he's just like i'm not going to put my hope in these people because they're hopeless by themselves, but God can do it. So, Yeah, you're talking about in verse 16, where after he sort of finishes up this whole section of just looking at his own culture and seeing how there's no truth anywhere, um, verses 12 through 15 really kind of focus on that, um, rebellion and treachery against God. Um, 
After that, it says, The Lord looked and was displeased that there was no justice. He saw that there was no one, and he was appalled that no one intervened. So his own arm achieved salvation for him, and his own righteousness sustained him. Um, and so this is the PowerPoint of this whole lament, is that this writer really believes that God is going to basically step down from his throne and do it himself that he's going to fix this entire mess of his people himself um, and that's the promise that he makes in verse 17 we see some very familiar uh, articles of armor get described a, a breastplate of righteousness and a helmet of salvation um, those get brought up again in ephesians it's either five or six i can't remember um, but uh, in the famous passage of the armor of God in Ephesians 5 and 6, Paul is riffing off of this in Isaiah. Um, and it's really cool to see that here is to basically describing how God, um, uh, one day is the hope in Isaiah at least, of God coming down and bringing that uh, righteousness to his people. And I've talked about the word righteousness before, but um, just to kind of repeat it, righteousness doesn't just mean like being morally good. It means being in the right. That's basically what the word means like in right standing yeah yeah, yeah gotcha. to be in right standing mm -hmm. which is basically if to use english um synonyms is to basically say to be just mm -hmm. um to be just and to be right are basically synonymous with one another and so when we say we're seeking justice what we're really looking for is someone to be in the right we're looking for someone to like walk the way of the right um and so righteousness really is a cry for justice mm -hmm. um that is like the uh, the better way to say that is righteousness is justice lived out properly um and that's basically what what god is going to do he's going to have this breastplate of mm -hmm. righteousness that's going to come in this helmet of salvation where he's saving the people of israel um and yeah there's going to be garments of vengeance along with that like mm -hmm. he's definitely going to like uh set things right in a way that's uh, going to repay people that are his enemies um, but it's all kind of couched in the same kind of idea of this writer calling for God also to save his people and so it's like this both duality of vengeance and salvation yeah. all kind of happening at once um, and this is kind of what happens I think at the cross with Jesus like yeah. this is this is how all of this gets fulfilled as you see Jesus kind of come on the scene and defeat all of the powers that were causing all of this violence, all of the spiritual powers and forces that were influencing all of these peoples, all of them get destroyed at the cross, and that's kind of the vengeance that we see happen there, while at the same time, uh, salvation occurs for anyone that believes in Jesus from that act. Yeah, that's uh, what I was going to say. It reminded me of salvation, too. Like, not the idea that even after we get saved that we do everything right, but the fact that our our right standing with God never changes because yeah, it's like yeah. it's not about like people questioning your righteousness because people like human flesh are never the enemy it's always something spiritual behind it that are the enemy so I just think about Satan who acts as the accuser accusing us before God is that like there's no point of him saying anything because we always have right standing with God so whatever spirit that is in opposition to us in opposition to the God that we serve when they come to him acting as an adversary like they have no real case to bring against us because God has already solved that issue through Christ. So. Yeah, and I do think that there is a part of each one of our spirits that is uh, in some way like a part that needs to be put to death, a mm -hmm. part of ourselves that is um, uh, from the enemy, I would say. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is part of what happens with the, the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, which we could get in. That's a whole, that's a New Testament thing to talk about. But um, there's a lot of power 
power in what this author was hoping for really like 500, 600 years before Jesus mm-hmm. um, and what's going to happen um, later on that gets fulfilled in his hopes and dreams in this whole writing. Um, and he even talks about how the islands, remember the islands kind of uh, represent um, all of the other nations all around um, mm-hmm. Israel and specifically kind of the seafaring nations like the Philippines, uh, not Philippines, the Philippians. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, not the Philippians either. What's the Philistines? Golly, I'm saying it wrong. <laughs> um, the Philistines, um, they, they particularly were kind of known as like a seafaring tribe that kind of lived right up next to the uh, Mediterranean Sea in that area. Um, also uh, sort of the, ah, I can't remember the name of them off, off the top of my head. Uh, Jezebel was a member of them though. Um, Phoenicians. Um, the Phoenicians were also seafaring and uh, they were also pretty violent people that would like swing in with a, a, a group of ships and like conquer an area and then like uh dive back out um really quickly because they had those ships but regardless the islands kind of started to become representative of gentiles and in general and it's this idea that in these last verses even he's even going to repay the islands they're due for their kind of wickedness and punishing israel from time to time and raiding them from time to time um but the overall point that's going to happen is that everyone will will eventually fear the name of the Lord. And that from the rising sun, uh, uh, basically from the east, um, they will all revere his glory. Um, and he will come like a pent-up flood, right? Like, And this is really important because um, the author's kind of picking this imagery specifically. The idea of a flood is both salvation mm-hmm. and judgment to the Old Testament writers. Mm-hmm. Um, First Peter actually kind of takes this up uh, with Noah and the flood. Um, he uses... Uh, the flood is an image of baptism talking about how Mm -hmm. the flood is both judgment on our old selves, but also uh, newness of life in um, what we're about to become. And that's kind of how they thought of the flood was both a punishment and a blessing because Noah was saved from the flood and became the father of new peoples. And so it's this idea, right? That like God is going to kind of come as a pent up flood. That's going to enact himself on the world that brings both salvation and justice in one fell swoop. That kind of reminds me of another thing I heard on the Bible project where they did talk about that very thing when they were going over the way that creation um, was viewed from other ancient cultures and they went over to Israel. Um, And so they talked about that very same topic about how water was viewed as like this life giving thing, but only if it was controlled and managed by God, when it was not controlled by God, it was chaotic and it was dangerous and, talking and it just kind of reminded me here like this pent of water is sort of like it's pent up because it's being controlled by god and then god is going to like take his hand off of it and just let it do whatever it wants to these people yeah, yeah. exactly it's almost like uh um him stepping away and just allowing things to be as mm-hmm. they kind of chaotically were yeah. and allowing uh, a phrase that the bible project loves to use a lot called tohu vavohu to happen which is mm-hmm. wild and waste um, yeah, and I think that's a very good definition of how they described God's anger. It's like God's anger isn't so much as him doing something to people, but taking his hand off of them and allowing their own 
um, their own decisions to basically ruin them or destroy them. So. Yeah, yeah, no, that's that's uh, that's one of my favorite points that mm-hmm. they've made in their entire podcast series. Um, so yeah, that basically kind of ends there with this final. We do get this small little break in verse twenty-one that I should talk about just a little bit because it's a break. If you'll notice in your Bibles, it breaks from the typical poetry to just talk a, a talk in prose for a couple for this one sentence basically um which uh talks actually gives gets us back into the the mouth of god for a little bit um saying as for me this is my covenant with them says the lord my spirit who is on you will not depart from you and my words that i have put in your mouth will always be on your lips and on the lips of your children and on the lips of their descendants from the uh, this time on and forever, says the Lord, which is really powerful to end on because, you know, the context of all of this is how awful the people of Israel are. And he ends with this covenant that he's reminding everyone that God made with the people of Israel, which is that there's his spirit, his Holy Spirit will never depart from them. Um, and it's, it's like a promise that they will always be on the lips of all of the these peoples from all their generations. Um, and I just think that's a powerful way to end a whole lament here is just a, a brief little showmanship of just hope that God has not fully abandoned them, even though it feels like it. And yeah, that's kind of where we end it. Did you have any thoughts on that last one just before we close up, Ashley? No, I think that's it. All righty. Thank you guys so much for uh, tuning in and we'll be back in your feed again next week. Thanks Bye-bye. guys. Bye. Bye.